Chapter 26 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 26. A Legal Friend. Hilda had no thought of returning home until her purpose of the morning was accomplished. It was no vain threat she had made to her cousin, and she proceeded forthwith to put it into execution, well satisfied that this second visit would accomplish all she had so far failed in. She had no difficulty in determining what legal gentleman to consult. A certain Mr. Dunfield, an old friend of her father's, being the person she considered most suitable. Mr. Dunfield was home and received her in his private office. He remembered her well and spoke to her kindly, so much so that Hilda, encouraged to speak freely, had, in a few minutes, poured forth her tale to his ear. The gentleman listened with much apparent interest, not offering interruption by a word even of question. "'I know nothing about lawyers' fees, Mr. Dunfield,' said Hilda in conclusion, "'and have nothing to pay you with now. But when the matter of this paper is settled, you may name what you choose, and it will be thankfully given you.' "'So far as that is concerned, my dear young lady,' very gravely replied Mr. Dunfield, "'there is no need of a word.' I held your lamented father in high esteem, and would be pleased to do something for his children. But I fear, in this matter you bring to me, you entertain hopes that can never be realized. There are certain points in your relation which we will go over quietly together, for your better understanding of my meaning. In the first place, your ear may have deceived you concerning the conversation between your cousins. In the second, if any such conversation took place, and they see fit to deny it, there is nothing but your bare assertion against theirs, and that will avail you nothing. We have no right in law to look into your cousin Kingsley's private papers, and without doing so, it is quite impossible to prove whether any such paper, as you speak of, exists. As the matter now stands, therefore, I am sorry to say, my young friend, we can do nothing, positively nothing. A shade of disappointment had fallen on the countenance of poor Hilda. I am quite sure my ears did not deceive me, she said. I heard every word that passed, just as I heard you speaking just now, Mr. Dunfield. When I heard Cousin Algin say the paper was still with the package of letters, I made up my mind to have it. One night, I managed by close watching to get the key of his secretary, and when all were in bed, I slipped down to the library where the secretary was. I got it open and looked well for the letters. I knew the appearance of them well enough, for I had often seen them in my father's own desk. But they were not there. If they had been, by daybreak next morning the paper would have been in your hands. Poor child! And so you really tried for it. In Mr. Dunfield's look of pity, Hilda believed she read confirmation of her cousin's assurance concerning the exposure of her suspicions laying her open to the charge of insanity. "'I certainly did try for it, sir,' she rejoined, meeting his eye with a look in her own which she believed must reassure him. 
It was a great venture for a young girl to make, but then I had much to embolden me. It was a rightful inheritance of which we were deprived by those who should have been our best friends. Beside that, we were poor. The worst thing I saw in our poverty then was our being separated, when we could all have been so much happier together. My eldest sister was working hard for herself and little Lily. Minnie was not happy with Mrs. Lemming, and I, well, I was anything but happy with cousin Algin Kingsley. Your want of content at your cousin's was probably the origin of your strange fancy, observed Mr. Dunfield. He had here spoken his thoughts, forgetting their probable impression on his young visitor, but was quickly brought to a consciousness of his mistake by the look in Hilda's eye. It expressed not so much mortification at his entire doubt of her statement, as it did the rebellious and readily excited temper peculiar to her. "'Mr. Dunfield,' she said, "'so surely as you sit before me, this thing is exactly as I have stated it to you. It is a very strange affair, certainly. It is strange that persons like my cousins would act the part they have done, and toward four unoffending girls.' and I suppose, too, hearing it in this way and from me, the most natural conclusion for you to come to is that I am mad. But it is a great mistake for all that. And if we both live, we will see the time when all is made clear. Then, Mr. Dunfield, you will remember this day and my coming to you with the strange story and, and my going away, the broken-hearted girl I am." While speaking, Hilda had risen to go, and at the concluding words, scarcely less to her own surprise than that of Mr. Dunfield, she burst into a passion of tears. Her trial of a while back with Mrs. Kingsley had left her nervous and irritable, and this unlooked-for disappointment quite upset her little remaining self-possession. Now Mr. Dunfield was a kind-hearted man, with daughters too of his own, and his concern was sincere upon witnessing the distress of his young visitor. In the kindest manner possible, he endeavored to soothe her. But Hilda was in no mood to be soothed, though still less was she disposed to continue giving way to feelings as she had done. By a great effort, she checked her tears, as suddenly as she had yielded to them, and in a manner different from any she had yet shown. She said, "'I'm sorry, very sorry, Mr. Dunfield,' that I have taken up so much of your time, and to so little purpose. No girl could be more ignorant than I was of everything connected with law, and that is the only excuse I have to make. I'm sure I'm very much indebted for your hearing of my story and acting so kindly. So now, I will bid you good morning. Mr. Dunfield gently took both her hands in his own. I wish I could do something for you, my child, he said, and if any opportunity occurs, in which a legal friend may find room to work, come to me, and I will aid you. I had great regard for your father, and would be happy to do something for you. The tone in which these words were spoken touched Hilda notwithstanding the little spirit of resentment which had so unreasonably come over her, and it was all she could do to control her feelings, as she replied in a few words of thanks and left the office. 
It was misery to the poor girl to know that she had not in store even the consolation for her disappointment of Mabel's sympathy, for she did not intend yet to take to her confidence her elder sister. She did not despair of final success regarding what she considered the writing of herself and her sisters, though after her double disappointment of the morning, no plan for the furthering of it suggested itself to her. It was rather a vague belief in all sometime coming right which upheld her, and she strove to give this belief, as much as possible, the coloring of that faith in the working of a wise providence which she thought so beautiful in Mabel. If Mabel knew all I know, she said to herself as she wended her way home, she'd say, God will surely bring all round in his own time. He will not let the doers of a great wrong go unpunished, nor the innocent suffer forever. And she'd say, too, that God may the sooner bring about a thing which will shorten the time of our suffering. Let us petition him for his kindness. He will hear us. He will pity us. Well, there's the mistake I've made. Have I had God in my mind when I've thought of this business of Cousin Algin? Have I prayed to him night and morning to bring about a discovery of that paper, or to soften Cousin Algin's or Cousin Hugh's heart, so that they'd do justice to us poor girls even now? No, I've been thinking all the time of some great thing I'd do, yet never asked him to help me. I've overlooked, like a wicked and silly girl, as I am, how completely everything, great and little, is in his hands, and obeys his ordering only. He can do it, and without the intervention of a miracle, as Mabel says, and I'll set my heart to the humbly asking of him. It was a very cold day, and the changes Hilda had experienced from her stay in the warm room of her cousin Algin and the office of Mr. Dunfield to the street had chilled her considerably. She hurried along, therefore, fast as she could, urged to rapid motion also by the fact that a fall of snow, which had commenced during her stay in Mr. Dunfield's office, made her uneasy for her dress, that excellent merino, the gift of her cousin, which she had put on for the occasion of her visit. Still, with all this hurry, it was full twenty minutes before she found herself in the neighborhood of her home. At about a hundred yards from the house was a carpenter shop, and before the door of this shop she perceived, as she approached, the figure of a woman, her black dress and bonnet quite covered with snow. An old basket stood on the ground beside her, and from among the heaps of half-buried shavings about the front of the shop, she was busily engaged in picking up chips. End of chapter 26